the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD, news from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. I hope your day's going well. I'm glad to have joining us a friend of the program, comes on a few times uh, a year and talks to us about very important uh, financial and economic issues. Mr. E.J. Antoni, he is a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the federal budget. Uh, He focuses on fiscal and monetary policy. I'm sure you've seen EJ. He does an extremely good job in this area. Uh, He works really hard. So you've probably seen him on TV. You've heard him on the radio. You've heard him on podcasts probably. uh, And we're glad to have him join us uh, to talk about some of his uh, recent work and really just some kind of uh, current events, if you will. How are you, EJ? I'm hanging in. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, I told you all fair, but Happy New Year to you. I hope you have a uh, healthy, happy, blessed uh, 2024. Um, Likewise. Thank you. So, like I said, uh, it's a terrible thing to have to talk about, something, you know, we never wanted to do. But we see that our national debt uh, uh, flipped over to $34 trillion this past week. Uh, that's just it, it's hard for anybody to, I think, get their mind around a trillion dollars. But, you know, when you start talking about 10, 20, 30, 34 trillion, you really lose people. Um, how would you best... Uh, kind of describe or explain what this amount of U.S. debt means? Well, if we want to try to put it in in like personal terms, I guess you could say, think of it as every child that's born today basically starts their life with a mortgage around their neck, and, and that's their share of the national debt. Uh, and another thing is that it, I think it helps to think of this in terms of how does this actually affect me because I'm never actually going to get a bill for that personal mortgage that I have, right? Well, the banking crisis that started back in March, which is still going on, by the way, uh, the frozen housing market, the the record high interest rates on credit cards that we're seeing today, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So many of our current economic problems, it all stems from this ridiculous amount of government spending and borrowing. So there are very real uh, consequences to this level of debt. So um, I've shared in the past, and I guess I'll bring it up again real quick, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was trying to explain to people what a trillion dollars of debt would be, and he said if you took a $1,000 bill and stacked them back to back, it's basically over 60 miles. So depending on where you are, if you're in Washington, D.C., and you go up 95, uh, that will, or down 95, that would get you almost to King's Dominion, if I remember doing my, uh, my math right when I was looking at things. Um, so, you know, you can take 
basically a 60, 60 couple mile trip. And just imagine if you're going down the road and for those bills to be that tight together just for a trillion dollars. And now, you know, we're looking at 34 trillion. Um, it's just like I said, it's it's unfathomable for so many people to understand what this means. And I think you did an excellent job in saying like, you know, you're basically born with debt. You're born poor with this mortgage or whatever type of debt you want to, uh, you know, see it as uh, around your neck. And so like, you know, I mean, me, I'll, I'll probably be okay with where I am in life and with what I've accumulated and with the different uh, decisions I've made to get me where I'm at. But if you're younger, or like you said, if you're, you know, you're, you're just the kids that are coming into this world, it's going to be really, really hard, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and we see that already. Like, we don't even need to think about future generations. We can just think about the current generation of young people who basically are are probably, sadly, never going to be able to uh, afford a home, at least not until uh, one of their, um, you know, their parents or another relative passes away and leaves one of those assets to them. Because at this point, we, we have seen home prices be driven up so high from inflation and from the manipulation of interest rates by the Federal Reserve, uh, that not only not only do you have to pay a ridiculous price to own a home today, but now the interest rate that you're going to pay on the mortgage is also at a multi-decade high. And so what's the result? Well, those are the two primary factors that drive up home prices, or excuse me, your, I should say your, your monthly mortgage payment. And so monthly mortgage payments now are just completely unaffordable. The Atlanta Fed uh, for example, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, they have uh, a metric that they use to measure home ownership affordability. And they've determined that in all but five uh, metro areas in the entire country, homes are unaffordable, meaning you are going to spend uh, more than 30 percent of your pay. And that that's gross pay, by the way. That's not even after taxes. You're going to spend more than 30 percent of your pay just trying to afford a home. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You actually have have several uh, major areas across the country. We're talking boroughs of New York, different cities in California, where it takes more than 100% of your gross pay to be able to afford a home. In other words, it's literally impossible for anyone making anywhere close to the median income in this country. Yeah, and then if you're lucky enough to get your foot in the door as a young adult or first-time home buyer, um, and you barely squeak through with the ratio, and we know that you know bank lending has tightened up since that uh, uh, the the problems that you referenced that we saw in the spring of 2023, you know things have tightened up. You've got all the other inflation around you that you have to try to make your monthly budget work with with higher food and gasoline and health care price and you know the whole deal it's just so hard for these younger folks i really feel you know i, I feel for them it, exactly and and yet one of the reasons why you know inflation is so low according to the official government metrics is because of, of frankly the ridiculous way we measure some of these things for example According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where we get the, the consumer price index or the CPI, that's the inflation number we usually talk about each month, uh, according to them, you have uh, the cost of health insurance plummeting uh, double digits. In other words, 10, 20, 30 percent from this time last year. Please tell me anybody who has seen their health insurance go down by a third. 
because I can't find anybody. The only people I know of who's who are spending less on health insurance today are those who got dropped, don't have coverage anymore, and haven't been able to find new coverage that was worth the asking price. So those are the only people I know of who are spending less today on health insurance. So things are far worse a lot of times than these official government metrics uh, make it out make it out to be. You know, a- another way in which the CPI really undermeasures inflation is when we talk about housing. They only look at rents. They don't look at home prices. And so the result of that is when you have, like we've seen the last three years, where the cost of owning a home has gone up much, much faster than the cost of renting, although the cost of renting is also at a record high, but the cost to own a home has gone up much, much faster. The, the Bureau of Labor Statistics doesn't look at that at all. They are exclusively looking at rents. And so they are severely undercounting just how bad inflation is in, in a whole host of different uh, ways. And that's one of the reasons why, despite, again, the official numbers, quote unquote, improving over the last year, people still feel very, very sour about this economy. And the president has very bad approval ratings when it comes to his handling of the economy. People are genuinely hurting right now. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's true. Generally, hurting is is accurate. And and to your point, also, you know, find me your your comment. Find me somebody that's paying a third less less in uh, in health insurance. I mean, it's basically anything. Like when they're being told that uh, inflation's down, you know, all of your costs are down. Nobody says that. I mean, when you sit around, you know, at Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're talking about, you know, different things and, and even, you know, just uh, daily talk with folks or family, there's nobody saying, oh, this is so much better than last month or last year. It's just the opposite. Everybody realizes they're paying more and getting less because, of course, they've seen uh, different things that they buy come in s- smaller quantities nowadays, but, uh, you know, more air in the bag, if you will, the potato chips, um, but they're paying just as much or more for it. So it's it's really hard to find people that, that actually say something like that. That's exactly right. And and really, the only people I've talked to who are who are really substantially better off today than they were two, three, four years ago are those who were already very well off because you know, what you typically find during periods of high inflation is that high income earners tend to have incomes which easily adapt to inflation. That's for a couple of reasons. You know, they, maybe they're in a better position to, uh, to demand raises. Uh, maybe it's because their incomes are, are just more um, uh, focused on prices, like a commodity broker, for example, who are, who's on a commission. As the price of the things that he sells go up, he's also going to earn a bigger commission. But whatever the case, uh, those who already had high incomes have incomes that are higher still and that have actually uh, uh, had growth rates exceeding inflation. Likewise, people who had a lot of wealth, a lot of assets, whether those were stocks or real estate, you name it, all of those things tend to inflate very well with the general price level. And so they have seen their assets go up in price typically by about as much as prices generally have. So they're doing just fine. But ironically, it, it's the, the little guy. It's the average American. Uh, it's the blue-collar worker who has suffered so much under this president. And, and the reason that's ironic is because we're told this is lunch bucket Joe, and right, he's a fighter for the common man. 
I mean, dear goodness, with friends like that, who needs enemies if you're an average American? Yeah, amen to that. Um, Before we get to your uh, latest uh, article, The State Escape, um, I just want to get a quick take. You know, um, you've mentioned uh, the the CPI and and some uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. you know, the, the latest jobs report that we got showed that employers added 216,000 jobs in December. Uh, that was higher than what uh, people, uh, well, economists were expecting on consensus of about 170. But I mentioned earlier in the program, when you look further into it and you see that October and November were revised down by a total of 71,000 jobs, and this is not just uh, the monthly, this is initial jobless claims, you know, that came out on Thursday. What did we see? Oh, the previous week was revised to show 2,000 more. They have no credibility at the Department of Labor when they come out with these numbers because they always change so drastically. It's not an occasional, um, you know, revision. It's constant and it's negative. It's never to the good. Well, it's also amazing, too. July was literally the only month last year in 2023 uh, that has not been revised down. And so once you account for all the different revisions, it turns out about a quarter of the jobs we initially thought we had were later revised away. And the same thing with with December. It looks like it was a, a great number where it beat expectations. But as soon as you account for the revisions to November and October that you were just talking about, uh, what happens? It turns out it, it didn't beat expectations. It was a big miss. And we've seen that over and over again with, with all types of data. The same thing with Uh, with the uh, GDP, which we use to measure the size of the economy. I mean, routinely with this administration, it's absolutely amazing. I don't know if if they're just the luckiest people ever or what, because everyone pays attention to the headlines and then forgets to look at the revisions. But continuously, the revisions are worse than the initial data that's at first reported. Yeah, uh, spot on. And again, that that's what makes, I think, the listeners of this program and other programs and the people that read your work, um, that's what makes them different, is they don't forget and they understand what a headline number is and then dig deep into, uh, you know, not deep, even just, you know, a little more homework or a couple more questions. Um, and, and they don't forget and they realize uh, really what they're being told and how they're being treated. And uh, and that's why they're smarter. We're talking this uh, today with my uh, guest, Mr. E.J. Antoni. He is a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. So, E.J., the last... Um, piece that I got in my email box that you had done. It's called The State Escape. Uh, It's a commentary that you did. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you wrote that piece. Well, I did a study uh, a few years ago. It was back in 2021 looking at uh, just how bad taxes are in New York and, and the fact that they were just instituting yet another tax increase. And what's essentially happened is that people have had enough and they've decided to leave. And the state has been hemorrhaging people and hemorrhaging jobs and therefore hemorrhaging tax revenue. And and that bleeding is going to continue until the lawmakers in New York uh, decide that it's time to reverse course because their policies simply aren't working. And and unfortunately, they just show no sign of doing that. And so New York continues to get beat up year after year. 
And that's actually, uh, I mean, you, like you said, you did your study uh, specifically on New York, and and uh, that's what the, the, the piece is on. But I actually, when I referred earlier that we were going to be talking, it's the it's really, it, it's uh, universal almost, whether it's a big city, a medium-sized city, even small cities, um, if they don't have the correct leadership, you see all the same problems. You see overspending, you see... Um, crime rates increasing. You see, unfortunately, drug addictions and overdoses increasing. And like you had mentioned, you wait for these politicians to see the light and make a change. Number one, who knows if that's going to happen. But number two, often I think they're going to find that it's too late. The horse is out of the barn. Right. Absolutely. And and we've seen this again and again in different places around the country. Like you said, it's not just simply New York. It's not just simply the large cities. Anytime you have a locale that decides to go down this road of overtaxing, overspending, overregulating, and then let's throw in all the soft on crime policies on top of it to make things really hellish for people. What happens? The, the residents say enough is enough and I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And, and you know, one of the things that, uh, that a lot of people claim today is that, oh, people are just leaving northern states like New York to go to a state like Florida because it's nicer weather. That's all. And that's a lot of it's just people retiring, you know, baby boomers, blah, blah, blah. Please explain to me then why people are leaving California uh, about as quickly when California is some of the best weather in the country. And they're leaving California to go to live in the mountains of Utah where they have absolutely brutal winters. You know, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the weather. Maybe it's just about things like taxes and crime. And and going back to New York, we see the same thing there where New York is is losing people to a place like Wyoming. Why? Because you're going to pay literally half, half of the taxes in Wyoming that you're paying in New York, except Wyoming has even more brutal winners than, than New York State does, and yet people are choosing to go there. Yeah, and and um, I'm glad you use that state. I use that state a lot because I think it's uh, it's uh, looked over or looked past. But people talk about no income, uh, no state income taxes, and they always talk about you know Florida and Texas and Tennessee and all. But there's others out there that, like you said, when you do your homework and you see um, wherever you think you might be moving, just how well uh, the area. I mean, the state overall, but also just the area that you may be moving to is run. Um, it really helps you make an educated decision and, um, and, and you keep a whole lot of uh, money in your pocket, like you said. Right, right exactly. And, you know, that, that counts especially so for, for all of those individuals that have high incomes. And when you look at states like New York, what do they do? They overwhelmingly uh, have those higher tax burdens on high uh, high income individuals. And you know, issues of fairness aside, you can think whatever you want about how fair that is. But at the end of the day, you're discouraging those high income earners from living there. And so, what are they choosing to do? They're choosing to leave. And when they do so, they are taking the bulk of the state's tax revenue with them. And that's a key reason why states like like New York, like Illinois, like California, you can go right down the list of all these high-tax states, why they continue to have these budget shortfalls and they continue to overestimate how much tax revenue they're actually going to get. It's because everyone's deciding to up and leave because they're sick of paying these high taxes. And what do they get for it? You know, they, they have crime-filled streets 
and those streets are, are filled with potholes. It's not like they're smooth as glass for all the tax revenue that they're having to pay. People are beginning to wonder, what on earth am I getting for all of the taxes that I'm having to fork over to my government? Yeah, and the really sad part uh, to that, too, is for the people that can't leave. You know, it's it's one thing if you have the option to get out of Dodge, but for people literally are upside down, you know, on their mortgage or whatever the case might be that just can't leave, even though they really want to, that's got to be a terrible, terrible uh, place to be. Well, certainly, it's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why issues like uh, the ability for parents to send their kids to whatever school they want and not to be locked into their local failing public school are, are so huge in, in trying to break these cycles of intergenerational poverty. You know, the only people who can't leave, like you said, are, are those who are not of means. And so they're stuck where they are. They're stuck in, in these, frankly, crime-ridden hellholes. And the only way out for them is going to be a, a good education. And so you need to have policies in place that allow parents to send their kids to whatever school they want, because that is their ticket out of poverty. That is their ticket, you know, again, out of these horrendous uh, liberal inner cities. Yep. No, excellent point. I'm glad you uh, you got that in. Uh, our guest today, Mr. E.J. Antoni, friend of the program. You can go to heritagefoundation.org and check out his writings. Anywhere else people can uh, find you on um, social media, E.J.? Best place to follow me is going to be on X, and the handle there is at Real E.J. Antoni. You can find all the articles I write, uh, a lot of the TV interviews I do, and also all of the daily um, data uh, that I go through and, and put in simplified terms so that anybody can understand it. Yep. No, I appreciate that. And that's why we're glad that you come on the program occasionally and do that for uh, for our audience as well. Um, so go to, uh, to X uh, and uh, follow EJ Antoni and, um, and check out all his work. All right, EJ, thank you so much. Keep working hard. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, sir. All right, take care. All right, that does it. Uh, We're up against a hard break. And, um, you know, EJ uh, and other folks at Heritage and obviously, you know, a lot of the folks that we have the privilege of talking to and and uh and learning from um will be on hopefully more in 2024 next week uh dr ben carson is going to be uh joining me we're going to be talking about um uh his uh his his foundation and and just all the good things that, that they've got going on um there in the carson family so uh join me for that and i will talk to you on the morning news express with uh bob miller and uh chris and i will you know all three of us will uh, get you through the the business updates uh 5 50 a.m 6 50 a.m and 7 50 a.m that's monday through uh friday on the morning news express and then um like i said we'll be back here next um next uh weekend and it'll be dr ben carson so have a great rest of the weekend and a good upcoming week and once again um happy new year to everybody this is chris murray wishing you and your family financial success Your Financial Editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. Um, So I was talking before the break, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the world, as there always is, right? I mean, we can go back in time and and um, we know, uh, you know, from one day to the next, to one month to the next, to one year to the next, et cetera, that um, there's always something going on that uh, we have to deal with and have to try to figure out. Um, one of the big ones, obviously, right now is uh, the I- Israeli war against uh, the uh, jihadist of Hamas. Uh, terrorist organization. Also, they're worried about Hezbollah uh, up on the uh, north border of their country. And then, of course, all the bad actors behind those two organizations. So whether it's Qatar or um, Iran, of course, is a number one uh, or um, fill in the blank, Lebanon, whoever it might be. Right. They just hate Jews, hate Gentiles uh, and um think that Israel shouldn't exist and um, non-Muslims shouldn't exist. And of course, the scary part is you have uh, many of those people that think that way here in the country, number one, because they're stupid um, and they don't understand history. Uh, And number two, because they're so impressionable is what we're seeing in college, uh, uh, you know, on college grounds uh, these days. And these people that just like the BLM uh, Marxist with uh, their their rioting and burning and looting and injuring people. um, It's just it's 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 a sad state of affairs. But uh, that's what we're dealing with now. And I think, you know, with people kind of concerned about how might that impact the market? Well, first, and I know almost all people do, we have to realize the terrible human tragedy and that unfortunately that may escalate. I don't know, coming weeks, coming months. I'm not none of us really know how long this is going to go. I personally have taken some time to watch some uh, body cam uh, footage uh, that actually the terrorists had um, on them, GoPro, I guess it was. And just literally, you know, once they came across the border, um, you know, going into innocent civilians' homes and just gunning them down or killing them in the yard or on the street or wherever, uh, the only silver lining that I saw for the one terrorist who was going around doing all that is when he got smoked. And um, one of the Israeli defense forces uh, shot him. And you actually got to hear it, hear him grunt and groan and breathe his last breath and then kind of roll over so that the GoPro was looking up to the sky. Um, But I just I can't fathom what these people are going through. Um, And it's something that, like I said, I always try to take the human tragedy and separate that and say, okay, that's it. it it's terrible. Um, it's unimaginable until you watch something like that. I watched, I don't know, four, four clips, probably about 30 minutes total. Um, and they just have no regard for human life whatsoever. They, they, they're really just rabid dogs. Um, these terrorists, that that's what they are. So, you know, people are worried about, well, you know, what does that mean um, for us here in america the people in europe um which by the way this is when the rooster comes home to roost um 
you've got places in France that have a Muslim concentration so big and so violent that the police don't go into those areas, the French police, because it's not safe. When that happens, you don't have a country anymore. And this didn't happen overnight. This has been happening for the last 10, 20 years in particular. You're seeing the same thing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, Exact same thing. So when you get to that point, you have to ask, do I have a state? Do I have a country? If you're too intimidated with the, um, you know, law enforcement officials to go into those areas. And the answer, of course, is no. So that's why France is finally starting to get a little bit of a uh, spine and talk about deportation. Because that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you definitely don't have a country or a state. So as far as what's going on in Israel, um, people are worried about commodity volatility, oil in particular. So if it does mushroom and the um, conflict gets bigger, you're going to be talking about um, some potential issues with oil transportation and distribution that could impact the energy markets. And that comes back to us. Wouldn't it be great if we had an administration um, and policy where we didn't have to rely on uh, the OPEC and OPEC plus nations that hate our guts. Number one, we're already paying them for that. So when you're standing at the pump and you're putting that gas or diesel in your car, you have to remember that transfer of wealth from us to them. So that's painful enough. Then you have to realize, wow, I remember a few years ago when it was a whole lot less because so much of that energy was being extracted in the most safe, most effective way possible here in the United States, and American workers were making it happen. That that will make you almost cry if you think about that when you're standing at the pump. So we do have to worry about commodity volatility, in particular, the energy sector. And then the other thing you have to remember is just the investor sentiment. So investors, right, if they start getting fearful that this thing is really going to escalate in the Middle East and you do get Hezbollah and other proxies for Iran and these other um, just extremely violent and hate-filled countries and organizations, then, you know, that could impact not just the... um, markets here in the United States, but again, the global markets. So what's going to happen with investor sentiment? That's something that we watch very closely um, so that, uh, you know, we try to keep our finger on the pulse as best as possible. And like on the program here, want to bring these things to to the forefront so you can think about them and 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 um, and kind of process it. Uh, the best way for yourself so there's not as much of a shock if we do see a change in investor sentiment or a spike in commodity prices or whatever it may be. Um, By the way, you know when I was talking about money laundering um, a little while ago with Ukraine, um, people will be like, 
that's you know that's not true maybe a little bit falls through the cracks you know these politicians and party leaders and elected officials you know they do the right thing number one even look at our own um house of representatives and united states senators and look when they went in how much money they have versus how much money they have now right so again they're selling their souls they're not they're not doing the right thing for the people that voted for them they're doing the right thing for their major uh political contributors and again what's good for them even if it's not good for the country and the one thing that I always remember, especially in the Middle East, is when, um, so you had the Palestine Liberation Organization, right, the PLO, and um, they were getting money from us and from whoever else knows, you know, and it was going to help all the Palestinian people, uh, just like you're hearing now that supposedly Hamas was supposed to be doing. And you're supposed to be, you know, these leaders of these Palestinians are supposed to be helping them. Well, when Yasser Arafat died, he was worth $1 billion to $1.3 billion dollars that we know about so it's not about the people it's about the corruption and the power and the control that these people wield that's it it's very seldom unfortunately on god's green earth that you find somebody that when they're tempted won't sell their soul And they'll do what's right for the disadvantaged people and for the working class people. So folks saying that, oh, you know, they don't take that one billion to one point three billion Yasser Arafat in Palestine. So when you say or if you encounter anybody that says, oh, they don't take that money, they don't launder it, whatever, just do some homework. You don't listen to. Just th- even this radio show or any radio show or TV or clickbait on the internet, just do some homework instead of watching a, a football game or just surfing the internet or playing Candy Crush or whatever on your phone. Because that's what's going on. That's where money goes. And again, if it's an individual, that wants to use their money, hey, knock yourself out. But don't use taxpayer money. Don't borrow money so that you can spend more and add to our debt, the people that care about the country and want what's good for their children and grandchildren. The other thing is, you know, like I said, we always have something bad going on. And I mean that. You know, I had this conversation the other day in the office with uh, with a gentleman and it was like, oh, what's going on? You know, he was worried about the uh, with uh, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Ukraine, what might happen in the South uh, Sea, the South China Sea with Taiwan, and you know, fill in the blank. You know, just people. I think, unfortunately, get too concerned, too worried about things when it's really out of their control. Right? We can only do so much, and the smartest people trust. Uh, everything to the good Lord anyway. But, you know, we're always going to have issues. I mean, can you imagine 
when Pearl Harbor got bombed, right? Some of you folks remember when President Kennedy got assassinated. You know, we remember September 11th and the destruction, the carnage, the death, the violence. And then, of course, what ensued after that in Afghanistan and Iraq and all of the, you know, military people that we lost or that were injured, some extremely uh, badly. And no matter what, those that were in serious conflict didn't come back the same person, probably, I would say, for the most of them, if not all. So, and then, of course, we had the financial crisis and the housing bust and then the virus that came from China. There's always something going on. So this gets back to just kind of the the base that the better your plan is, your financial and retirement plan, and the better your investment strategy, the less likely you are to make poor decisions when things go to heck in a handbasket, right? Instead of trying to time in and time out of the market 10 or 15 times a year or whatever it might be, um, it's better to have that solid plan. And and if you do, then you're going to have trust in that plan. And history, at least, has shown that you're more successful with that type of mentality. You know, again, it's that old saying, it's your time in the market, not timing the market. Because there are, if any... Very, very few people that can time the market consistently. Yeah, you can get it right every now and then, but to time it consistently and be successful. And I don't even know, like I said, who that is. Um, There's multimillionaires, billionaire hedge funds and private equity and all the others that try to do that sometimes and they come down on the wrong side of that trade. And I mean, they are losing massive amounts of money. So even those folks that that's all they do 24 seven and they have all the algorithms and they have all the MBAs or the, um, you know, rocket, literally rocket scientists that have left that work and come to, and, you know, left aerospace and come to um, the world of finance, splitting numbers, doing everything they can, and they get it wrong. So it is time-tested, that that statement. It's the time in the market, not the timing of the market. And we're going to see, like I mentioned, some window dressing the end of this year with certain investments. We see it every year because managers and and others want to investment companies want to be able to say, hey, you know, look at us. We closed the year in a phenomenal way. So they might sell some of their positive um, cash in some of their winners to try to tweak the numbers, whatever the case might be. But um, it still comes back to at the end of the day, if you have a plan and if you have a quality investment portfolio, your chances of being successful are uh, are multiplied quite a bit. At least that's, again, what history has shown us when you look at the average rate of returns for people that stayed invested versus those that were jumping in and out of the market. So, 
All right, that's going to do it for us. Um, I really appreciate you being with us this weekend. I hope uh, you have a great rest of the weekend. I'll talk with you on the Morning News Express uh, with uh, Bob and Chris. Those are weekday uh, live updates at 5.50, 6.50, and 7.50 a.m. And then uh, we'll be back here next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. I got my game on. I step out of the shower, steaming up the place. Wipe off the mirror, shave my baby face. Can't help but smile. Hey, what can I say? I got my game on. Silk shirt, my Armani suit, my custom made hat, my alligator boots, slip my rings on my fingers, my new shades, Woo, I got my game on. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com.